Santikos Irmo, 17 years in the making. We started in a home, went to a movie theater, went to a school, and now we are finally here in the city of Irmo for the first time in our new home. And we want to thank you for donating to the Legacy Lane to make this happen. I'm standing in our beautiful foyer that just feels like home. This is going to be a place where people are going to find God, grow in their faith, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And we couldn't be more thrilled or excited to be here on Sunday morning worshiping together as a family in our own building. This is our Kids Coast Elementary Room. It is a beautiful place where kids are coming now to worship God, all because of the Legacy Lane and the people of this church that have donated towards this building. It's an honor for our leaders and our dream team to come in and just be ready for church. No more setup and teardown, but actually feel home and prepare the lessons and get things ready for our kids days before we ever walk in here on Sunday morning. I'm sitting in our custom student center, our very own custom student center. For the last few years, they've been meeting in a school in a music room that we had to set up and tear down, and now they have a place they can come every day of the week to hang out, to do schoolwork, to build community, to come experience God. Every day of the week, we are opening this place up to these students, and it's all because of you guys. We're standing now in our worship center and we couldn't be more thrilled. We have these beautiful new seats, a beautiful platform, and people are just getting to walk in here and experience God. Members from our church that have been here for 17 years are here worshiping God. And then we have new people coming in every, every weekend. And we are excited to see what God's doing. And we thank you guys so much for giving to this Legacy Lane and continuing to help our church be everything it's called to be because we want to make a difference in the Irmo community, and now we have a huge opportunity to make that happen. So thank you. All right, let's give it up for our Irmo campus uh, in their new facility. Well, good morning. We're so glad all of you are here with us. I want to welcome you to Seacoast Church. If I haven't met you, my name's Josh Surratt. I serve as a lead pastor. And over the last couple of weeks, we've shown you some videos. It's been so cool. We've seen uh, what we've been able to do this year in 2020 with the Dream Center Clinic, uh, what we've been able to do with planting churches and encouraging church leaders over in Pakistan and all around the world, and then our very own church, uh, seeing a new building for our Irmo. By the way, Irmo is the only campus that as we've come back, they've come back at above 100% of where they were before the pandemic. And so the building is just really serving them. They're reaching people and we're so honored uh, to be part of it. And what's cool is whether you are in Mount Pleasant, whether you're in Conway or Somerville or West Ashley or Johns Island, if you've given to Seacoast, you've been a part of all of that uh, and a lot more that we've been able to do this year. And so we just wanna say thank you for your generosity as a church. It's amazing in the year that we've had what God's been able to continue to do in spite of the, the limitations. And so uh, next weekend, we've, we've told you guys we're gonna be doing a legacy offering. If you're new, by the way, that's not gonna be a weird weekend. It's not gonna be high pressure. We don't do high pressure at Seacoast. Uh, you're sitting among the most generous people on the planet. And so next weekend's gonna be fun. We're gonna have a life-giving message. It's gonna encourage your heart. We're also gonna have an opportunity to, to look ahead and dream a little bit about what we see God doing in the next year or two and how we can all be a part of doing something great. It's been funny. I've had a lot of people reach out. You know, there are a lot of uh, great organizations, nonprofits, church plants that are really, really struggling right now because of this pandemic. And they've been coming to us and asking, hey, 
can you be a part of this? Can you help donate towards this? And I keep telling them, wait till after uh, this legacy weekend. And, and I believe the answer is gonna be yes in a big way. But how cool would it be if together, all of us did a little bit and we were able to just bless the socks off of some incredible organizations, incredible people uh, that are doing God's work in our community and around the world. And so that's what's happening next weekend. Wanna invite you guys to be praying about that. I know many small groups have already been coming together going, hey, what if together we were able to do a, a well in Africa? Or we were able, and we'll, we'll tell you about some of those opportunities next week, but it's going to be a great, great weekend. Hey, is anybody else just excited about Christmas? Just show hands here and at the campuses. Who's ready for Christmas? I don't know what it is, if it's just the year that we've had, but we, I think we decorated our tree before Halloween this year. It was like, Lisa was like, we, we are ending this year. We're bringing it to a finish line, and Christmas means we're almost there, but I love Christmas, and I love celebrating the, the birth of Jesus. We're going to do that. Uh, we're going to have Christmas services at all of our cam- campuses, and 2020's taken a lot from us, but it's not gonna take our candlelight services. And we wanna do it in a really safe way, though. And so we're actually asking everybody to, to pre-register for services on Christmas. We'll leave a little bit of room if you forget to or if, if people don't, but we really wanna be able to plan the right number of services and be able to do it uh, spaced out the way that we need to. And so I think it's www.seacoastchristmas.com where you can just grab up some, it's free, obviously, grab up your seats for your family, anybody you might be thinking about inviting, and it's gonna be an, a phenomenal time together. And Christmas is all about anticipation, right? It's, it's remembering that, that way back when, 2,000 years ago, there was a group of people that were anticipating a Messiah. They had been waiting for 400 years for this Messiah. We also anticipate the second coming of Christ. And, and anticipation is a powerful, powerful motivation in our lives, isn't it? Have you ever anticipated something? Maybe a wedding day, you know, where you, 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 you set a date on the calendar and it's like, man, you begin to dream, pray, plan, prepare for what that day is gonna be. I know for us, we lost a, a dog this year. Our, our dog passed away this summer. A really hard thing for our kids and for our family. And so we decided, Lisa and I, we're gonna get them a dog for Christmas this year. And uh, you're like, why are you saying that right now? Christmas hasn't happened. Well, we, we, we were like, we could surprise them on Christmas morning. We've done that before, and that's really kind of cool, has its own uh, cool elements. But we thought, you know what? We'd rather let them meet the puppy at two weeks old and then begin to dream and anticipate and get ready for what might happen. And so, so here's Louie. We, we've, been, we, we've met the puppy. He's actually here now. That, there he is, little guy. Isn't he cute? Just amazing. But it's been, it's been fun, like every day they would go, hey, do you have another picture of Louis? Can we, can we see, I wonder what Louis doing, I wonder how he's doing, we're anticipating what it's gonna be like to have this dog. And we all know what it's like to anticipate something. Birth of a child. You know, this weekend at all of our campuses, we're doing child dedication services, and you know what it's like to anticipate a baby being born or a graduation date. But have you ever anticipated something that didn't end up happening? See, that's a whole nother side of the coin. When you are in a place where you're anticipating, you're hoping for a miracle in your life, but the miracle just hasn't happened yet. And honestly, that would be more similar to the feelings of the, the people of God, the, the, the people of Israel 2,000 years ago, where they had been waiting for year after year after year and century after century after century for this promised Messiah, but it hadn't happened yet. And some of you know what what that's like, to wait for a miracle. And I love miracle stories. We've seen great miracles happen in our church over the last couple of years. It's been phenomenal, seeing people be healed of 
cancer and healed of these incredible, incredibly dangerous diseases. And, and man, two years later, we've got people that are continuing to walk in that healing. And I love a good miracle story. But I also know a lot of people, including some people that I love very much, that are still waiting for that miracle. They're still praying for that miracle. I know some who, where that miracle didn't happen. And, and that loved one they were praying for has gone on to be with Jesus. What do you do when you're waiting for a miracle, when you're anticipating something that just hasn't happened yet. I'm excited to bring a message to you this morning from a girl, a woman, who knows what it is to anticipate, to hope, to want something, and to experience the disappointment year after year after year of not seeing that happen. And then we're gonna look today, if you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Samuel chapter one, we're gonna look at the life and the story of Hannah. See, Samuel ended up being this great judge and then prophet that he would ultimately appoint King David to be king of Israel. He had a significant role in, in our ancestry, in our history. And ultimately, David would become the king whose lineage we, we would get the greatest miracle that, that we've ever experienced, which is Jesus. But the circumstances around Samuel's birth were very, very difficult. It included a lot of disappointment, a lot of anticipation that never amounted to anything over a period of years. And so if you're in a place today where maybe you're hoping for something, you maybe you've been hoping for a relationship to be restored, maybe you've been hoping for the birth of a child or for the answer to a prayer, I think you're gonna find a lot of hope in the story of Hannah. And so 1 Samuel chapter one, we're gonna read through it and then we're gonna look at what we can learn while we're waiting for a miracle. So, so let's start in, in chapter one, verse one. It says, there was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephraimite. Bunch of words I don't know how to pronounce, but I do know where they were because I've been to Israel. Uh, if you haven't been to Israel, we're going again in, in November of 2021. God, the Lord willing, with all of this stuff going on, it's such a cool thing to be able to read a scripture like that and go, oh, the hill country of Ephraim. I've been there. I know where that is. So, but but they're, they're in Israel, and, and here's, here's what it says in, in verse two. He had two wives. Now, this is when the story starts to go south a little bit. Uh, this is when Hannah's story starts to go south a little bit. He had two wives. Now, there are some of you that are here today, and you're going, that would be awesome. How cool would it be to, to have two wives? And if that's you, you're single. I understand that. Uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to just do the one wife thing well. And so, so most of us have been married for a while. No, I think one is, one is plenty. But this is where the story goes, goes wrong here. He had two wives. By the way, some of you would say, hey, why did God allow that? Why was God for polygamy in the Old Testament? And the answer to that would be, he, he wasn't. If you read the Old Testament and, and conclude that God was for polygamy, you need to go back to the coloring book versions of it because it is, never works out well. Back in Genesis, God designed marriage to be one man, one woman, one lifetime. And, and, and what happens is the people of Israel, they move into these lands and they're around other cultures and they take on the culture of which they live and they begin to act in those ways. Never does it work out well when, when a man marries multiple wives. You look at Abraham and, and uh, Sarah and Hagar and, and they're still fighting over that in the Middle East today over that mistake. You've got Leah and Rachel, it tears apart a family. You've got Solomon, ultimately the destruction of Israel came about because Solomon had a thousand wives. God never endorses it, 
but just like he does with us, he's grace-filled with us, and there are times that I wonder, here's a question. What will the church 500 years from now look, look back and go, why did, why did the church in 2020 do this? There are probably some things that we've taken on from our culture that aren't biblical, that aren't helpful. Ultimately, they're destructive in our lives. And so, so God didn't allow for that, but let's, let's keep moving. So he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Here's another indication of where her, her, her pain is gonna come from. Verse three, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all of her sons and daughters. We don't even know how many she had, but she was very fruitful. She had a lot of children. But it says, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. She was his favorite. Uh, if you're taking notes, if you do have more than one wife, it's not good to have a favorite wife. That doesn't work out for him as well. But, but it says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. You know, often we can read a story in the Bible and it all resolves itself like within a chapter or within a couple of pages. But I want you to feel for a moment what Hannah is going through year after year after year. And listen, I'm not qualified to, to talk about infertility in depth because I'm a man and, and we, we did go through a miscarriage, my wife and I, so we've experienced a little taste of that. We have a lot of very close friends people in this church who have dealt with that for a lifetime. And I just understand that it is one of the most heart-wrenching challenges that a couple can walk through. And, and she is going through this. Not only is she going through it, but she's got a, a co-wife, if you will, who's got loads of kids. And every time they come together, family vacation, they go to the, the, this yearly pilgrimage to worship. And this, this woman is probably coming with another child and rubbing it in her face. And then she's, you know, prayed every year. God, I'm, I'm back here again. I'm, I'm praying again that you would answer this prayer. And it's heartache after heartache after heartache. And some of you may know what that feels like with that specific issue or with another difficult issue. It could be the loss of a child. It could be a financial situation that you've been walking through where, man, you have tried year after year after year, and you see your friends, and it's like, man, you, I love the story of the person who, man, they start tithing, and then all of a sudden, boom, windfall. God blesses them with all these finances. And you're like, you know, I've been, I've been tithing for decades, and I find myself continuing to struggle financially. Or maybe it's related to to your, your, your dating life, and you've got these friends, man, they kissed dating goodbye. They said, I'm gonna date God for a year, and it was like the next day they met the man of their dreams, right? <laughs> and you kissed dating goodbye five years ago, and it's been Ben and Jerry, basically, the only dates that you've had since then, and you're like, oh, you know? But, but I want you to feel her, her pain. This is where she's at. This is what, what, what life has thrown her way, and she's struggling year after year, and and her husband then, in this next verse, he does what us husbands tend to do sometimes, and he makes a bad situation 
even worse. Let's look at what he does. Verse eight, her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? And listen to this next statement. This is in the Bible. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Come on, dude. Like, we don't get her answer. That's because I don't think her answer was fit for scripture, uh, if, if I'm guessing. Well, why are you so sad, Hannah? Well, let's, let's start with the fact that you have two wives. That's not working out real well for me right now. That's, that's Elkanah, that's not really, and then this, this baby thing, and I appreciate the extra meat, but man, this, this woman that you have married is rubbing it in, and, and then he, he goes, what about me? Aren't I better than than 10 sons, that's what we do as husbands. We take an issue, uh, we, we try to solve it, and then we make it about us, right? I, I mean, come on, what's, what, what's the deal? Let me give you a little bit of marriage, this is free marriage advice, this isn't even connected to the message, but if your wife or your girlfriend comes to you with facts, you can respond with facts. But if she comes to you with feelings, respond with feelings. That should be scripture. I'm, I'm telling you, it will work well for you. If your wife comes to you and says, honey, I... I feel fat. That is not the time for facts. Well, honey, have you noticed what you've been eating lately? Uh, and have you noticed your ex, you know, no, 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 no. That's not what she's looking for right there. We need to respond with feelings or just shut our mouths. Either of those will work. But if she comes to you and says, hey, let's work together on getting in better shape, that's when it can be, all right, let's look at what we're eating and all that stuff. So facts with facts, feelings with feelings. It's gonna work out well. Elkanah just gets this totally wrong, totally wrong. You know, he, he takes her pain and he makes it even worse. And so what do I do when I'm waiting for a miracle? We're gonna follow her story. What do you do when, when you're in a place where you feel like, man, the only way that I'm gonna get through this is if God shows up, is if God does a miracle in my life. The first thing that we see Hannah do that I wanna really encourage us to get better at is tell God what you really think. Tell God what you really think. Look at verses nine through 16. After this little exchange with her, uh, her husband, the next thing that, that we see, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. She's bargaining with God. Some of you have been there before where it's like, God, if you will get me out of this situation, I will, I'll, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. Now she ends up actually following that up, which tells me that her heart is beginning to change in this prayer. But it says, this is, this is interesting. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you gonna stay drunk? Put away your wine. So, so she is in such a bad place. She is weeping bitterly. She's pouring her heart out to God to the point that the, the pastor is like, are you, are you drunk? Like, are you even, and some of y'all, y'all feeling hung, hung over this morning. It's a different kind of a, a prayer. That's a different deal. And so this is literally, she is, weeping, she is pouring herself out to God. And, and, and she has to convince him that, that she hadn't been drinking. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. 
when's the last time that you poured out your soul to the Lord? She says, do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. See, she's pouring out her soul. She's telling God what she really thinks. And honestly, we struggle with this in the church. We struggle with just being very candid and very honest about where we are. There's a disease in the church that spreads faster, I believe, than even COVID-19. It's called finitis. You know what I'm talking about? You walk into the doors of the church and your marriage is hanging on by a thread. And not just anybody, but someone that you know comes up and says, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. Good. Things are fine. Maybe you're struggling with a diagnosis, but, but man, we get it. We feel like we get to the church and we have to have our act all figured out. We have to kind of, you know, be good. And, and there's a, a biblical concept called lamenting that I want to talk to you about for a couple of minutes because it's something that we just don't do very well. In fact, did you know that in the book of Psalms, 70% of the Psalms written in the Old Testament are considered laments? Do you know how many of our top 100 worship songs today in America are laments? Zero. Zero. We're just not good at it. And I get it. We come here, we wanna, we wanna celebrate, we wanna sing about hope, and that's great. But there are times in our life where we just need to pour our soul out to God and weep bitterly. And our prayer life doesn't have to look exactly like you know, the Lord's Prayer all the time. I mean, it's great to do that, but there are times that we just gotta be real. Tell God what I really think. It's called lamenting. And I wanna show you really quickly uh, in, in um, Scripture, Psalms chapter 13, verse one, four elements of a lament. This is, this is a short psalm. I think there's six verses. And you'll see what lamenting looks like. See, all of us know how to cry. All of us did that, probably 100% of us. Very first thing we did when we were born was cry. To cry is the human, but to lament is to be a follower of Christ, to learn how to really take and pour your soul out to God. And some of you need to hear this right now. Some of us need to file this away for another time where we're gonna need to pour our heart out to God. But it starts when we turn to God. Look at Psalm 13:1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And the point there is that it starts by turning to God. You know, most of us aren't very good at lamenting, but we're very good at, at turning to Facebook, pouring our soul out to Facebook. That doesn't bring you the kind of healing that coming to God with your lamenting does. Even bringing it to somebody else, we need that. We need accountability. We need good Christian community. We love small groups here. But if the only time you're ever pouring your soul out is to another person, then you haven't figured out how to really come to God and lament. You turn to God, but secondly, you bring your complaint. Bring your complaint. Every lament features some kind of complaint. Look at verse two in the Psalm. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, this is more than just kind of a, a rehearsing of, 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 of bad news of your anger. It's going to God and saying, God, how long? Lord, do you even see what's going on? My enemies are, are taking victory over me. How long are you gonna do this? How long are you gonna be quiet? I remember a couple of years ago, a good friend of ours, Robbie uh, Robinson, a very good friend of our families, and we loved him and his wife, Diane. They were just an awesome couple. They loved adventure. They were always scuba diving or skiing or doing something fun. And he had just retired as a pilot, 60 some years old, maybe 62 years old. 
and they had been planning, saving, dreaming about an incredible retirement together. And one day on a Friday night, totally out of the blue, he just, he dropped dead of a heart attack in his, in his home. And I can remember driving to the hospital that night and praying and hoping that he would, he would make it and, 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 and he, he was gone. He'd gone to be with Jesus. And I can remember, it was right at the beginning of a 21-day fast, walking into the church and, and feeling like I'm supposed to have it all together, but just going up into the balcony in our old building and just pouring my heart, my heart out to God. God, why? I can't blame anybody else for this. You know, sometimes there's an accident and we kind of direct our anger towards a person. But in this case, it was like, God, I'm just mad at you. You could have stopped this, but you didn't. And, you know, I want to invite you in your prayer life to kind of get to another level. And I've actually got a couple of, of props for us. There are times that we need to come to God with boxing gloves or a box of tissue. Where you don't have to feel like God, you know, and there's some great prayers and some principles that we, we begin with, with adoration or thanksgiving, and, and that is a really good principle most of the time. But there are some times that we just need to come and tell them what we really think and just be honest before God. Did you know that God is not afraid of your anger? He's not afraid of you to go, God, where are you? Where have you been? Why haven't you shown up? And if you'll do that to him instead of you know, unloading on social media or unloading on somebody else, some things will begin to shift in you. So turn to God, bring your complaint. Sometimes it's, it's tissue. Sometimes you're just crying and, and weeping bitterly. Sometimes you're angry. But then we, then we, we uh, ask boldly for help. That's the, the third aspect of a lament. Ask boldly for help. See, seeking God's help while we're in pain is an act of faith. I, I love this. Verse three, it says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. I've brought my complaint to you, but now would you light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. God, help me. God, I need your help. I'm asking you to intervene here. And then the last part of a lament is choosing to trust choosing to trust. And like I said, it's, it's really great when we can start with that, but there are times in our life that we, gotta, we just gotta come to him with our complaint, pour our heart out to him, ask him for help, and as we do that, it will lead us to a place of trust. Look what he says in verse five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, ultimately, this lamenting, you know, turning to God, bringing our complaint, asking for help, will take us to renewing our trust in him. And, 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 and so often in the Psalms, you see us start in one place, but we end up in a place of further confidence in God. And we're gonna see it happen with Hannah too. But the first thing she did was she wept bitterly. She just told God what she really thought. And it's the first thing we need to do when we're in a place where we're waiting for a miracle. Second thing that she did is this, or that we can do, is expect God's peace before his provision. Expect God's peace to come, usually before his provision. Let's go back to Hannah's story. So she kind of tells this pastor, Eli, I'm, I'm, this is where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm broken. I'm hurting. And Eli answered her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. 
She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And look at this. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. So, so think about this. She goes to the, the, the house of God. She's weeping bitterly. She's telling God what she thinks. She's pouring her heart out to him. She gets prayed over, which again, at all of our campuses this weekend, there's gonna be an opportunity for us to come to get prayed for, to, to get a word from God. And, and, and this pastor says, may God's peace fill you. Nothing has changed about her physical situation. She still doesn't have a child in her womb, but it says that, that she left and her face was, was turned up. Her, her face was no longer downcast, that God intervened. God gave her a peace before he gave her the miracle. See, in, in Hannah's story, it went prayer, peace, and then pregnancy. And so often in our situations, it's gonna go prayer, and then God's gonna give us a, a peace, and then I'm believing that even today, there's going to be a miracle. But so often we think the miracle is gonna be what brings us peace, but you know what honestly is the greater miracle? Is that we experience peace even when our circumstances haven't changed. That's what Jesus can do for us. That's what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter four. I love this verse. He says, don't worry about anything. Have you ever thought Paul would be a terrible counselor? <laughs> you know, like, hey, just don't worry. Okay, Paul, that sounds great. I'm worried. I'm feeling anxiety. Well, don't. Thanks, Paul. That's helpful. It's like when I go to my kids at night and I'm like, you need to go to sleep. I'm trying to go to sleep, Dad. I can't. Well, stop thinking about going. Just go to sleep. That doesn't really help them. But that's what he says. Don't worry about anything. But he gives us an antidote. He says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Tell him what you really think. Thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Y'all, my prayer for you this weekend is there are some of you, you're gonna walk out of here. I don't know what the timing is and when the miracle is gonna come, but you would experience God's peace. I'll never forget when this happened with us, with my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, about two years ago, was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer, a tumor that was about the size of a, a pomegranate in her lung. And, uh, and we, we sat with a doctor down at the hospital, and, and, and she came in and she said, hey, we don't know exactly what this is, but we know it's, it's cancer, we know it's aggressive, and we know we gotta do something quickly. And we just celebrated our, our mother-in-law's 70th birthday. We didn't know that we were gonna get to her 70th birthday because of the kind of things she was dealing with. And so we get this diagnosis, and it kind of takes the, the air out of the room, and, and I had to leave to go take care of the kids and do some things. We prayed over her, and then, then I, I left, and, and, and I, I took care of the kids, and I called my wife. I believe it was the next morning, still under the same diagnosis, and I'm expecting you know, for her to just be weeping and crying and upset because that's what you do in those situations. And I called her and, and there was music playing in the background. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, we're having a dance party. I was like, what do you mean you're having a dance party? Uh, Bobby hadn't even gotten out of bed for three or four days up until that point. And she said, you know what? We just, God just gave us a piece and I don't know how to explain it, but we did a spa day earlier in the morning and now we're dancing and we're worshiping and, and God has just shown up. And, and, and it's so amazing to experience a peace that goes beyond the answers that you're hoping for. At that point, we still had a very grim sentence on her life, but they're dancing. And that, that you just, the world notices, right? When the people of God have a peace in the midst 
of difficult circumstances. And again, in, in Bobby's situation, we got the miracle. We got the miracle. The cancer is gone now. No, no cancer. But, but what, what was really the miracle that stands out to me in that moment was how, how could we be feeling this way in the midst of these circumstances? And that's my prayer for some of you this week. The peace will often come before God's provision. Last thought for us as we bring it to a close. Number three, don't let your pain keep you from your worship. Don't let your pain keep you from your worship. Look what happens in verse 19. Early the next morning, they arose and they worshiped before the Lord and then they went back to their home at Ramah. You know, there is something powerful about worship anytime. I love worshiping. But when you can walk into the doors of a church or when you can turn on the, the music in your car, you can open up your heart to God in the midst of your pain, that's powerful. That is powerful. We've told you about my sister's diagnosed with, with cancer. And I can remember in this season of, of, of the church having these miracles and all of this has happened. And often when you're in a place like that, your temptation is gonna be to run away from God. You feel like he's disappointed you. You feel like he's been silent and you've been praying. But week after week after week, Jenny would show up and she'd be sitting in the first or second row. And when I saw her lifting her hands in worship in the midst of her cancer, wow. See, that's powerful. That's when God shows up. And man, there are some of you that are here today, you're at one of our campuses, maybe you're watching online. And there's a pain that you have experienced. It could even be church pain, church hurt. That's a difficult kind of church, or a difficult kind of pain. And, and your temptation is to run away from God. But the invitation is to come in the midst of, of your hurt. Don't let your hurt keep you from your worship. Because it's in the worship that stuff happens, that chains are broken, that oftentimes healing comes of your soul, of your body, of all different types. And then in the case of Hannah, which I believe will happen in the case of many of us, the story ends, verse 19 and 20. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. In due time. In due time. You know, God is always on time. And I imagine for Hannah, as year after year after year went by, that she would have been tempted to describe that as a little bit late, <laughs> a little bit late, but it was in due time. Did you know that, that Samuel would grow up and it was, he was born at exactly the right time? that he would be uh, in a position at exactly the right time to appoint David as king, to remove Saul as king, to, to accomplish the, the purposes that God had put on his life. He wasn't born a day late. He was born at exactly the right time. And I don't know what miracle that you're holding out for. I don't know where you feel like you've been waiting and anticipating here during this Christmas season, but I wanna give you an invitation to tell God what you really think we're gonna have a time of response. We're gonna leave a little bit of time for us to just reflect and pour our heart out and our soul out to God. To, to experience the peace that passes all understanding. To bring our worship in spite of our pain. And I'm believing 
that this moment, that this time is gonna be due time for many of us. That God is gonna meet us in this moment. He's gonna answer our prayer. He's gonna bring about that miracle in due time. Would you guys pray with me as we close? God, I thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, that you included chapters like 1 Samuel chapter one in the Bible. Lord, that it would be, uh, uh, Lord, give us permission to approach you, God, with exactly the way that we feel. I thank you that we don't have to clean ourselves up or say the right words, that we can just come to you and pour our hearts out to you. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would bring about a sense of peace that passes all understanding. God, that goes beyond the answer to the miracle that we've been asking for, but that lives deeper within us. For many of us, that peace is gonna come by just opening up our hearts to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, recognizing that he came and, and he did exactly what we're talking about on the cross. He cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But ultimately, he took upon our sin and our shame so that we could have peace with God. For some of us, that's a miracle that we need today, just to say yes to him. God, I pray that that would happen here in our campuses and in living rooms, vehicles, gyms, wherever we're watching today, that we'd experience peace with you through your son, Jesus, that we'd bring about our worship in spite of our pain. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would answer prayers today, that bodies would be healed, God, that relationships would be restored, that hearts would be healed. God, you would do what only you can do in due season. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.